0: Please join me in prayer as we look into God's word together. Father, that is our song today, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. You're worthy of all glory because of who you are, the holy, infinite, perfect God full of love and grace, also perfect in justice and righteousness, and you're also worthy of glory because of what you've done. And sending your son, Jesus, to bring us the gift of salvation and life in him. Lord, as we consider and reflect on the birth of your son today, I pray that you would stir our affections, that we might love you and trust you all the more. Amen. There's a man whose name is J. Gresham Machen. He was a scholar at Princeton uh, in the early 20th century uh, when it was still a seminary. And he wrote a book that was called Christianity and Liberalism. And that book is just as relevant today as it was when it was published in 1923. And one of the many profound statements he makes in that book is this. He writes, Christ died. That is history. Christ died for our sins. That is doctrine. Without these two elements joined in an absolutely indissoluble union, There is no Christianity. And he's right. He's right. And I'd like to make that same argument today and apply it to Christmas. Jesus was born. That is history. But Jesus was born why? Jesus was born for what? We celebrate the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, yes, but it's not enough simply to know that Jesus was born. It's essential that we grasp the purpose of his coming. I'm not going to be walking through one text as we usually would today, but rather considering broadly four reasons why Jesus was born, surveying a number of different texts. And, and I think that in understanding the reasons for Jesus' coming, that will give us insight and understanding of the eternal purpose of God. It will help us to grasp the central meaning of christmas in the very heart of the christian faith so number 1 the first of these reasons most simply and most directly is this that jesus christ was born to save sinners he was born to save sinners 1 timothy 1:15 says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, Paul remarks. The great problem for the human race, for you, for me, for every human born since Adam and Eve, is that we are sinful, we are fallen, which means we fail to live up to God's holy standard. It means that we have rebelled against our maker, we have violated his moral will, which leaves us spiritually defiled. It leaves us separated from God, It means that we are spiritually dead. It means that we are enslaved to sin and that we are destined for judgment. But Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter one. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins and save us from all the dreadful consequences of those sins, This mission of Jesus to bring salvation, that he came to save sinners, is something that is evident all throughout Jesus' ministry. He brings salvation to sinners by, first of all, bearing witness to the truth. He says in John 18, 37, Jesus says, for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Jesus preached the truth of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. He announced the good news that God was fulfilling his saving promises through him, through the Messiah. Jesus preached often about heaven and hell, about the need to be born again, about his power to give salvation as the bread of life, the living water, the door of the sheepfold. Jesus bore witness to the truth so that we might be saved from our sins. In John eight thirty one, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This mission to save sinners not only explains what Jesus said in bearing witness to the truth, it also explains what Jesus did. In Matthew chapter three, Jesus tells John the Baptist when John was hesitant to baptize him, that it was necessary so that he might fulfill all righteousness. You see, it's Jesus' perfect life that is necessary for you and me to be saved. We, because of our sin, are spiritually bankrupt. We have no righteousness of our own, but Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. He perfectly kept the law. He perfectly did the will of his Father so that his righteousness... What the Puritans called this treasury of merit so that it could be credited to our account. So that there could be this beautiful exchange of grace as our sin is given to him and his righteousness is credited to us. Jesus came to save sinners, which explains why he said what he said when he bore witness to the truth, why he did what he did in perfectly fulfilling all righteousness And ultimately, this mission to save sinners explains why he died. Jesus came to give his life for sinners. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came, he was born, so that he might give his life as a ransom for many, to make a payment. By his death, by his blood, a payment that would secure for us forgiveness and freedom and life. That's what Jesus was doing at the cross. That's why he came. That's why he had to have hands so that he could be nailed to the cross, feet so that he could be nailed to the cross, a heart that pumped blood that could be shed on the cross, lungs that could struggle for breath on the cross and a life that could be laid down at the cross. To be saved from our sins means at one level that we are saved from the power of sin. Yes, Jesus comes to set us free. But it also means that we need to be saved from the penalty of sin. Apart from Christ, we cannot escape the wrath to come. We are destined for eternal punishment in hell unless someone can deal with our sin. We can't deal with it. We can't cleanse ourselves. We can't atone for our own sin. We can't somehow compensate for our sin. But Jesus comes to deal with our sin. He pays the price with his own life. Paul writes in Galatians 4 that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. He came to ransom us to redeem us to die in our place as a sacrifice so that we might be saved from our sins and what is the result of this mission what's the result of his testimony to the truth of his righteous life and of his substitutionary death well in one word it is life it's life in saving us from our sins, Jesus comes to give us life. He says in John ten ten, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus gives eternal life to all who believe in him, all who trust in his work, in his power, in his name. He gives us life, abundant life, because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, We, as we sang earlier, are reconciled to God, meaning that we enjoy fellowship with God now. That is abundant life. We enjoy the indwelling presence of his spirit now. That is abundant life. We enjoy communion with him, hope, joy, comfort in his promise. That is abundant life now. He gives us eyes to see. He gives us ears to hear so that we are renewed, so that we are transformed, so that we are awakened to spiritual realities that previously we were completely blind to. That's abundant life now. We enjoy life in the church, this new community, as we are given gifts with which we serve and encourage each other. And we become worshipers who delight in God's grace and grow in the knowledge of his son. That is abundant life now. Jesus said, I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. But this abundant life now leads to even more. Because of what Jesus has done, we are promised resurrection. We are given unending joy with Christ in the eternal kingdom. We are granted an inheritance, an eternal inheritance in the new heaven and the new earth. He came that we might have that kind of abundant life. Friends, Jesus did not come merely to be our example, merely to be a teacher, merely to heal and to help those in need. Jesus did not come merely to promote social change or moral reform. Jesus came, he was born, he lived, and he died to save us from our sins. There's a second reason I want to remind you of this morning, of why Christ was born. Number two, Christ was born to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Maybe some of you here today don't really love Christmas all that much. Maybe especially some of you men. Maybe it's the, the hot chocolate and the sappy carols just doesn't really do it for you. Okay, you'd rather be somewhere else doing something else. But listen, don't let the warm and fuzzy decor of Christmas conceal the fact that the birth of Jesus was an act of war. That's what it was. It was an invasion. The birth of Jesus was a full frontal assault on an ancient enemy and the kingdom of darkness. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says that since therefore the children... That's us. We share in flesh and blood. He himself partook of the same things. He he took on flesh and blood, became one of us, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He came to destroy death to destroy the works of the devil. This great war between the seed of the woman and the serpent, a war that begins in Genesis, it will climax at the cross. The satanic conspiracy of Judas and the Pharisees, it appears to bring an end to the mission of Jesus. It appears to bring an end to what God is doing through him at first glance. But in suffering, Jesus would actually seize the victory. The serpent would bruise his heel, but he would crush his head. I love what Colossians 2.14 says. It says that God has saved us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. Those are those spiritual powers. And he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. Christmas is an act of war. Christ was born to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus would triumph over sin by bearing sin. He would overcome death by dying. He would swallow up our sorrow by his suffering. He would undo the curse by becoming a curse and receive glory by enduring shame. And he would be exalted, glorified, Because he emptied himself and humbled himself to the point of death. And Jesus would ascend to the throne by way of the grave. John 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ was born to destroy the works of the devil. He was born to save sinners. He was born to to destroy the works of the devil. And third, Christ was born to manifest the love of God. Listen to what 1 John chapter four says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen, Jesus Christ was born to manifest the love of God, meaning he was born to show the love of God, to demonstrate the love of God, to prove the love of God, to extend to us the love of God. And this love is absolutely holy, it is singular, it is unlike any other love. God's love for his own is not a love that is a love of mere emotion. It's not just a love of feeling. It's a love that has been demonstrated with decisive action in the sending of his son to make propitiation for our sins. God's love is not just wishful thinking. The people that we love, we really want the best for them, don't we? We just don't always have the power to bring about the best for them. But God's love has the power to bring about God's will for those whom he loves. It is an effective love. God's love for his own is not just a generic love. It's not just an indiscriminate, nameless, faceless love for humanity at large. It is a personal love. As the Apostle Paul says in Galatians, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. The love that Jesus manifests is a personal love for you, Christian. The love of God is not simply a matter of convenience. He does not love us because of what we do for him, because of what we have to offer, because of how worthy we are. No, it is a radically sacrificial love where God gives of himself, sacrifices himself to bring about our greatest good, to bring about our salvation. The love of God is not fickle or temporary. It does not ebb or flow. It is faithful. It is eternal. It is a love from which nothing can separate us. Paul writes in Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's a love that changes everything. It is a love from God, perfect, glorious, and eternal. A love that Jesus came to manifest. Friend, if you are a believer today, know this, that God loves you, that he chose you to be his child, that he sent his son for you, to be born for you, to live for you, to die for you, to rise again for you. Can we really question God's love? Can we really look at him today and be skeptical of his heart towards us? When we consider the sending of Jesus into the world, the radical sacrifice, the shocking humility, may it never be that we would question if God has loved us. Our hearts need to echo the psalmist who writes in Psalm 86, 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love towards me. It's a love that has been manifested in the coming of Jesus and the salvation that he provides. Listen, to know that you are loved by God in Christ, that is the basis for lasting joy. That is the motive for obedience. That is what compels us to worship Jesus Christ because God has manifested his love for us in the sending of his son. And then fourth and finally, Christ was born to save us from our sins, to destroy the works of the devil, to manifest the love of God. And then finally, Christ was born to reveal the glory of God. John chapter 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is really the ultimate reason underneath all the other reasons. This is the ultimate goal of every action. It's the ultimate result of the entire mission. It's glory. Glory. Christ Jesus was born to reveal the glory of God. And this is true at two levels. There is glory at one level in his person. Jesus reveals the glory of God because he is God. He is God in the flesh. John 1:18 says, "No one has ever seen God, the only God speaking of God the Son, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known." It's in looking at Jesus that we behold the glory of God because he is one with the Father. Jesus told Philip in John chapter 14, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus came to reveal the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 1 puts it this way, verse 3, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Friends, this is what we celebrate when we contemplate the announcement of the angels. When we remember the virgin birth, when we talk about this baby in the manger, when we think about the angels singing and the shepherds marveling and the magi falling on their face, God himself has come to dwell with man, which reveals glory. It is the glory of God come to dwell among us. And nowhere else can we learn more about what God is like than by looking to Jesus. In Jesus, we see the holiness of God. In Jesus, we see the power of God. In Jesus, we see the compassion of God, the purpose of God, the righteousness of God, the wisdom of God. The glory of God, the fullness of his perfections are experienced and displayed in the person of Christ. I love what 2 Corinthians 4 6 says. Paul writes that God, who said, Let light shine, out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the eternal God, is seen and beheld in the face of Jesus Christ. There is glory in his person. But at another level, there's glory in his work. There is glory in what Jesus does and accomplishes. In John 17, 4, Jesus prays to his Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. There is glory in his working. Everything that Jesus is reveals the glory of God, but also everything that Jesus does reveals to us the glory of God. There is glory in his salvation of sinners. He saves sinners, according to Ephesians chapter 1, to the praise of his glory. Our salvation results in the glory of God. Sovereign grace revealed for all to see. There is glory in his triumph over the enemy. When Jesus destroys the works of the devil, when he plunders the kingdom of darkness, when he overthrows the enemy and crushes his head, God's power is proven, God's purpose is accomplished, and his name is vindicated. And there is glory in his manifestation of God's love for us. Think about this, God's heart is made known in the work of Jesus. And what's the result of that? What's the result of sinners being saved from their sins? What's the result of sinners being given abundant life, being forgiven, being set free? What is the result of all that? It is eternal worship that resounds in the heavens as a multitude of the redeemed worship the Lamb who was slain. It's glory. There is glory in who he is, but there is also glory in his work. There is glory in what he does. Jesus comes to reveal the glory of God. So, why was Jesus born? To save us from our sins to destroy the works of the devil, to manifest the love of God and to reveal his glory. Listen, if Jesus does not come, if Jesus was not born, if there was no conception by the Holy Spirit, if there was no baby lying in a manger, if there was no angelic announcement and no magi, if there was no Jesus, then we are still in our sins we would be blind to his love, blind to his glory. If Jesus does not come, the devil and his works are not destroyed and we are condemned under the law. If Jesus does not come, we are not sons and daughters, we are slaves. If Jesus does not come, there is no abundant life, only death. And we do not walk in the truth, we do not walk in the light, we would be walking in darkness. But Jesus did come. He was born, he lived, he died, and rose again. And the abundance of the riches of God's grace are now ours. Friends, this is hope for sinners. It is good news. Perhaps good news that some of you need to hear today. That what is missing in your soul the greatest problem you face today in terms of your sin before a holy God, that that need can be met. That need is provided in Jesus. Those who humbly bow the knee before Christ, those who join the Magi in receiving the revelation of God and trusting in it, those who come to Christ for cleansing, freedom, and forgiveness will be saved from their sins Will be set free from the domain of darkness, will experience the love of God, and will begin for the first time to see and behold the glory of God. If you've never experienced that, this would be the best Christmas gift to receive life and life abundant from God through His Son, Jesus Christ. For those of us who know Christ, who have received everything that he is for us, this is good news, it's a cause for joy, this is the reason for our worship. And my prayer is that in our homes, in our hearts, and in this church, that our Lord would receive all the glory. Not just because he was born, but because of what he came to do. Father in heaven, we give you honor and glory, we marvel at all that you have provided through your Son, Jesus. May Jesus receive glory today. I pray that hearts would be opened and eyes would be able to see, to really see today, exactly what Christmas means. Christ Jesus was born, and your word, Father, makes clear why. Fill our hearts with joy, stir our affections to love you, trust you, and give you the worship that you deserve this Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.